I'm Greg Berard, and welcome to my podcast on living a full life. It's become my mission to live an amazing life, to be the best version of myself that I can be, and to inspire others to be the best versions of themselves, and to create the lives that they want to live. This podcast is a narrative of my own personal journey, along with rich and meaningful conversations with truly successful people, exploring how to build great wealth while maintaining balance for family, love, health, parenting, purpose, and passion. So please join me. Let's take this journey together to uncover what it really means to live a full life. Before we get started, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, the best way to do so is to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you may listen to podcasts. Additionally, I'd love to connect with you directly. Please visit me at gregberard.com. That's G-R-E-G-B-E-R-A-R-D.com and sign up for my newsletter. Not only will you be up to date with my latest podcasts and guests, but you'll also receive my personal blog, shared resources, and other media that I plan on releasing over time. The email is also my personal email address, so I'm happy to connect with you directly. Without further ado, please enjoy this podcast on living a full life. Today's conversation is with Mark Gant. Mark is best known for co-creating, writing, producing, and starring in Crackle's groundbreaking Streamy award-winning series, The Bannon Way. Mark is a 25-year film and TV veteran, and he is a multi-hyphenate who learned the business from the ground up and has had the good fortune of collaborating with many of the top directors, including the likes of uh, Steven Soderbergh, David O. Russell, San Raimi, and Robert Rodriguez. Mark's on-screen credits include uh, Criminal Minds, American Horror Story, Hotel Ocean's Eleven, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Dexter, and the list just goes on and on. Mark is not only an award-winning actor, but he's also a writer, director, producer, editor, photographer, and consultant. About 13 years ago, Mark uh, was frustrated with his career. He was working hard in acting class weekly. Uh, He had the right headshot, a decent reel, a reliable agent, and yet couldn't get an audition to save his life. He hadn't quite figured out how the business worked. Mark then sort of had a transformative moment when he just decided to stop waiting for someone else to discover him, and he became the CEO of his own life and began to create his own destiny. It was a multi-year process that culminated in the creation of The Bannon Way, which was the first multi-million dollar web series and sort of became the industry standard for web series feature films. Mark is a husband, a father, and a creative force. He lives by his own rules, but he's thoughtful and curious and honestly one of the most profoundly productive people I've ever met. And he isn't just productive for productive sake. He has literally designed his life, thought deeply about what he wants, how he wants to create and show up. He is the absolute definition of definitive, deliberate action. Mark is someone that works hard, but takes the time to appreciate what he has. He sort of has a life mantra about taking risks, practicing patience and gratitude, and and sort of being what he calls perfectly imperfect. This was another fun podcast, and we discuss obviously a wide range of topics from Mark's sobriety at a really young age to his sort of breaking into the business as a grip, and then his, his just sort of willingness and openness to taking risk and working outside of his comfort zone to help sort of create the life that he dreamed of. We did have a lot of technical glitches in this episode. Literally, the internet dropped out every 10 to 15 minutes on us, and I am totally embarrassed to say that I just I didn't even have a backup plan for that, and you can bet I will in the future. 
Mark is just such a professional and to such the point that we, we were mostly able to continue without really losing a beat. And that really just says so much about him that despite the glitches, we really didn't lose any momentum during the conversation. I, I, we do mention a couple of times uh, in the podcast about my being a guest on his wife's podcast, but that actually didn't end up happening. Um, it may in the future, but it hasn't at this point. The podcast is called Secret Life Podcast by Brianne Davis-Gant, who is also uh, herself a creative powerhouse. And I, I really highly recommend checking it out. Brianne had so much early success with the launch of her podcast that there has literally, they've been literally overwhelmed with hundreds of guests and hundreds of recordings in just the first few months of launching. You can listen to Brianne's podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and I do hope you enjoy. And Mark is, of course, helping with the creative process on that podcast as well. You can find more about Mark on his website, Mark Gant, that's M-A-R-K-G-A-N-T-T dot com, and uh, check out The Bannon Way on crackle.com. Without further delay, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Mark Gant. All right, Mark. Hey. Thanks for coming on uh, the podcast. Of course. I'm excited. Really appreciate you carving out some time to have a chat with me today and to kind of share your story and to talk about what full life living means to you and to your family. And I guess a good place to to start, and this this doesn't really have to go in a chronological order or anything like that, but I think we should, It's it may be good to start with your journey to San Diego. And maybe if you can tell us the story of how that how that happened. Right. So you made your way to San Diego. Well, I was uh, I was a whip smart nineteen year old who thought I knew everything about life, and uh, I had at that point I was just I had just hit a year sobriety, and I was uh, moving uh, a friend's sister down to San Diego, and we drove down, and it was the first time I'd ever been out of Stockton. I'm from Stockton, California, in like the armpit of, of California. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, we went down there, and, you know, Stockton's a very sort of, you know, nothing really great. I mean, it says our, our logo is, you know, someplace special, but I don't really know who it was special for. Um, <laughs> but we, we, uh, we drove down there, and as we were waiting in line to sign her up for school, uh, there was just like all these people wearing bikinis and shorts and no shirts and like everybody was just relaxing. And, and I was like, wow, this is like, this is way better than Stockton. And as the line was, we we're getting closer and closer. My friend and I were saying like, we should just, we should just sign up. We should just move here and sign up. And so we signed up for classes. We drove around the corner. We drove around a couple of streets, saw, you know, a for rent sign, walked in, filled the application. The person was there. It was like, you know, it's like a college town there. So like literally got, you know, approved right there and uh, drove back up to Stockton. We were there for like 48 hours, drove back and I came home and told my dad, I was like, hey, moving to San Diego. He said, great, maybe you'll grow up. And then walked out the door <laughs> and that was, you know, and I, so we, we, I was, I think I'm within a week, I was, I was living in San Diego, having lived with my parents my whole life, uh, completely taken care of, you know, they definitely, uh, supported my habits without really knowing it. And, um, so yeah, so that was, that was my, that was my journey down to, to San Diego. And, and part of why we, I did it was, you know, there's in back of my head, I always wanted to be an actor, a writer, a director. And so 
LA was close, but you know, I never had the intention of like, oh, I'm going to move down to Los Angeles and do that. It was just sort of like a fantasy. So we were there. It was like, we drove through LA, like there's a Hollywood, there's like the Hollywood sign. Like we're so close. And, uh, and that's sort of, that's what happened. Yeah. Three hours away, but it felt like probably a million mile difference from going from Stockton yes. to Los Angeles and San yeah. Diego to Los Angeles. Yeah. That's amazing. I had a, I had a similar experience with my choice of school with UCSB in Santa Barbara. I remember driving and just turning the corner. I was probably 17, 18 years old. And I turned the corner onto State Street, the sort of famous street. And there were just all these girls in bikinis. And I just look at my friend, Greg, his same name as me. And we just like had the same thought, like we're, we're figuring <laughs> yeah. out how to go here because that just, this doesn't happen in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what was life like growing up in Stockton? I mean, what was your childhood like? You know, uh, I had a interesting childhood, uh, you know, up until around nine years old, you know, sort of the normal middle class, um, you know, family. My dad was a cop. My mom worked for the uh, telephone company. I had a brother that was four years younger and a sister that was two years younger, lived in a, you know, sort of middle class house. And, you know, there's lots of love and there's, there was definitely the feeling that, um, you know, at an early age that I wonder what other people had. And so there was definitely this, this sense of, you know, looking at, at our neighbors that had, you know, a nicer boat or a nicer car and stuff. And, uh, and, and soon, soon after nine years old, uh, my parents got a divorce and everything really sort of turned upside down from parents separating uh, different houses, new boyfriend, new wife, and uh, different school districts and sort of lying about where we lived and having to ride our bike seven miles to get to school and sort of keeping the secret from the school and from our friends. And, and just a lot of, you know, during that time, a lot of turmoil, a lot of, you know, not, not really knowing, you know, you know, who's taking care of us and, you know, and uh, any sort of security. And so, but, but Stockton itself, you know, my, like I said, my dad was a policeman. And so as I started to you know, when I was 15, I started drinking and, you know, sort of got wrapped up into, you know, the wrong crowd. Um, I've said this before that I says, you know, I, I tried out for, you know, freshman basketball, baseball, football, and soccer and got cut from all, all sports, which is, you know, pretty, uh, pretty sad. And, and also that's where all my friends were, you know, they were, I grew up doing sports. And so, uh, I turned to other friends and we, you know, we started getting in trouble. And so, but my dad was a cop and my dad and I have the same name. And so um, on the numerous times that I was pulled over or, you know, uh, at a park drinking uh, and they asked for IDs, you know, because of my dad, I was able to to get away. They said, you know, why don't you just go home? And I'm sure you don't want your father to know what you're doing. And uh, we're going to mention this tomorrow. And so after the first time that they didn't mention it to my father, I realized that I pretty much had a free, free get out of jail card. But, um, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely a, you know, um, I had a, uh, I, I guess this, you know, I want to say it's like, you know, I, it was, it was challenging because, you know, once we moved in with my dad and my stepmom, you know, the, they were trying to sort of overcompensate for sort of the bad years. And so I got away with a lot of stuff. And, uh, and my dad now says, you know, now that I have a, a son, he joked with him. I was like, so, you know, at what age do you stop worrying? He's like, how old are you now? <laughs> and, um, and so, 
uh, he just sort of, you know, said that that was, um, you know, for him, he's like, you know, I, I made it too easy on you. I, you know, I, you know, I, I tried to soften things for you and I should have let you, you know, figured it out yourself. That would have helped you more. And so I could definitely see how that happened. Yeah. Like sort of <laughs> parent guilt is a, it's a pretty serious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a young, a young child and, and I do as well. And so it's, <laughs> I, I, I feel that constantly. So you started to drink at 15 and you became sober at 19. Yes. So, so can you tell us a little, like, tell us a little bit about drinking, for example. So, I mean, my experience with drinking in high school was, uh, you know, you go to a high school party, you drink too much. What was, what was your experience like? And how did you know that you maybe drank differently than, than you were supposed to and, and had to, you know, come to the, come to sobriety? Right. You know, I think that my first drink, I just remember that first drink, you know, there was something about it that, um, that first beer, it just, it, it sort of took away my insecurities. It made me somebody else. And, and I sort of, sort of chased that high. There was something about it that just sort of made me comfortable in my own skin, made me feel a part of and so, you know, as where my friends, you know, they'd go have a couple beers, you know, I, it was, I was very quick to notice that, you know, there was no, have a couple beers. I didn't know how I was going to stop. I didn't know how that was going to go. And so for me, it was, it was a, a situation where I literally just had to go like, I, you know, I might black out, I might do something or say something, you know, so, you know, it'd be one of those things like, I'm not going to drink this weekend kind of thing. And it was fine early on. But as, you know, as it progressed, once I graduated and, you know, was started working and I started was working construction, working with a whole bunch of guys that drank every day and did drugs. And, you know, that's what we did like every day. And, uh, you know, it progressed very rapid. And, you know, I come from a family of alcoholics, my both grandparents on both sides, uncles and aunts on both sides. And it, you know, sort of skipped my parents, but, you know, that was, so it was, I was aware early on of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings to, for birthdays for my grandparents and for my uncle and aunt. And, uh, and I was around when they were drinking. So, so I was very aware of that. And so, um, I guess, you know, the different in this, in this interesting, you know, when I remember when I first got sober that everybody that I was friends with, like, I don't understand why you're sober. You drink just like us. I'm like, technically, no, (laughs) you know, I drink for a different reason. I use drugs for a different reason. And, you know, it's just, it's, it doesn't, I can't stop. I can't just have one drink and say, that's it. And so, um, had a series of events of wrecking cars. I wrecked seven cars in, uh, about three years and I wrecked one last one and I didn't have a vehicle. And my boss had said, you know, maybe you should you know, take a week off and just sort of get things together. And so I said, yeah, you know, actually I'm going to get sober. And so I spent that week just drinking and doing drugs. And at the end of the week, he came to pick me up for work and, you know, he could tell I was wasted and said, you know, you need help. I'd already talked to your dad. I've talked to your mom. They're kicking you out now. And, and so I went to a rehab. Uh, well, I went in there and he basically convinced me that I would be able to be at this like rehab for 30 days. I wouldn't have to work. They, he would pay me. Uh, insurance would cover it, this whole thing. I go, I, so I went and signed up and then um, did this whole thing, waiting in the waiting room for like four hours. They came out and said, unfortunately, your insurance won't cover you for inpatient because you're under 21. So you'll have to do outpatient. You'll have to come here uh, six days a week and, wow. and do a night thing. And then on Saturdays uh, during the day for like a whole day. 
And I was like, oh, you know what? I don't really think I have a drinking problem. <laughs> Thank you, though. And they said, well, unfortunately, you've already signed the paperwork. So if you don't attend, if you don't show up and attend all 30 days, you will be responsible for this $35,000. Wow. And at 19, you know, I didn't know any better. Um, now I would be like, you know, I could probably send myself, you know, going, well, all right, sue me or whatever. But at 19, I thought like that was it. I was going to have to pay $35,000, which I did not have. And, and so I went to this program and for 29 days, I went thinking, you know, I'm not really an alcoholic. I'm not this, these, all these people are older than me. They're, you know, they're really old. They're like 30. And, uh, <laughs> and so on the 29th day, you know, I had, um, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go to a, a movie and I said, yeah. So my mom let me borrow a car. I went to his house for a movie and he's like, you know, our friend Jake is having a party. I was like, oh, really? And my friend was having a beer. And I was like, maybe I'll, I got really thirsty all of a sudden. Throat got really dry. I was like, maybe I'll just have a sip. So I had a sip. And uh, and then I finished that beer. And then I got to the car. And he's like, hey, I got a couple for us. So let's go pick up some more. And then next thing I know, it was like 8 o'clock in the morning. And I was selling my watch for a line of cocaine. And I was like, oh, wow. I don't really have control over the first drink. And so I went, I called my aunt who was sober and said, you know, I drank and I'm going to have to pay $35,000 for this thing. And they said, she said, just show up, just show up and be honest. And so I did on like the graduation day, I showed up to say I drank last night. And, uh, and that was September 11th, 89. And, uh, and so, you know, that was, that was sort of a, a, a why, why it's different for me is that I, I can never you know, uh, tell you that if I just had one drink, you know, if I would be able to stop after that one drink or if it would be, you know, weeks later or, you know, car wreck later, or, you know, fortunately I never, you know, you know, I never took somebody's life that way or, but you know, it, it could have happened for sure. Amazing. So I read a few of Brene Brown's books and I just, you know, I think she's a pretty, pretty special human being. And she talks about her sobriety as a superpower. And she talks about it in a way that sort of makes a lot of sense to me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sober, but I, you know, I've, I've sort of thought about this after she's talked about it because she talks about this idea that if you're using alcohol as a sort of crutch for something, like, for example, you, you talked, you spoke about how, how you used it to sort of help you get out of your skin and to, to you, you know, you thought it really gave you this sort of, this sort of, um, a sort of boost, you know, where you needed it. When you don't drink, you have to figure out how you get to the best version of yourself without any substance, without anything helping you. Do you, I mean, through, through this journey, you've been sober now for 30 something years. Like, do you, do you, do you see sobriety like that as well? Is it, do you think it's like being sober such an early age, kind of going through this such an early age, do you think it, it actually gave you something that maybe helped you propel your, your life and your, your journey? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, and by the way, I love her too. And, uh, she, she's, she's amazing. And, um, it's funny. It's like, it, it is sort of a superpower for me as well. I mean, I think what it has sort of created for me over the years and, you know, and it's been, you know, like, like any journey, you know, it's not this straight line, you know, it's not even a, you know, sort of up and down. It's like shoom, all the way back around and this like, like, you know, like my two-year-old drawing something. And <laughs> in that there, no matter what sort of craziness is happening, you know, I have tools that I did not have before I stopped drinking. 
And there's tools that I have that, you know, that allow me to pause to, to see facts for what they are and make them and see the difference between my thoughts and feelings and facts and being able to, you know, have this self-confidence that in a way started by just not drinking one day at a time. And so after that first year, there's something that happened in me that was like, oh, wow, I've got this, like I did this for a year. That's really hard. And a lot of people can't make that first year. And so there was something about sort of these little milestones in the early sobriety that said, you know, like, oh, this sort of built this confidence. And because the work that I was doing on myself in the program, it allowed me to let go of things that didn't work for me anymore and see, you know, new actions and new ways of living and behaving that were way more, you know, beneficial to me. And so it did, it, it did help. And then, you know, through all these experiences I've had over my life, I, you know, I, I joke, I feel like I've literally lived three different lives, three different careers, you know, from, you know, the, that sort of pre-sobriety living in San Diego, moving to LA to get into film, to starting into acting and then leaving acting into, you know, writing and directing and producing. And, you know, it just feels like there's these, you know, each level of not even necessarily career, but just life, you know, as I sort of, you know, hit these milestones, there were, I would like to call them opportunities to grow <laughs> where, you know, they were painful, but out of that pain, you know, the layers of, you know, the onion were pulled back and I could see more opportunities for me to, to change, to let go of these old ideas. Uh, even at 20 years sobriety, I still found myself having limiting beliefs about myself and what I was capable of and things that have been embedded in me, you know, my from a very young age and something that, you know, uh, that I've been looking at even to this, to this moment, you know, where there's been these, even at this moment, I'm finding challenges that are related to things that I've just have, they're just embedded in me that I believed in, um, you know, one being that it's, if I don't do it, then, then I'm not going to succeed. There's, you know, it's, I, I can't count on anybody to do anything for me because they're going to let me down or, you know, no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get what I want. And so those two things, you know, attached to, you know, uh, a mentality that, you know, I'm only as good as my achievement and, you know, that can be, you know, quite a, uh, a challenging place to be in when all those sort of things are going on, when my life is expanding so much and so much is happening and so many great things. And yet, you know, inside, I'm struggling to enjoy it, to be present, to uh, have patience, to be willing to, to be wrong, to ask for help, all those things that the tools that I know and things that I've learned along the way, you know, sometimes through this filter of these old negative thought patterns are still there. Yeah, I mean, um, and we'll we'll probably we'll dive more into into this sort of into transformation and things like that. But I mean, it, it's hard to completely remove <laughs> many many years of thought patterns and behaviors and habits. And it's part of kind of what I talk about on this podcast, especially my, my own sort of 
fumbles and messes ups as I kind of go through this journey of uh, trying to trying to be the best version of myself. It's just I, I find myself all the time not only falling back in the def- into the default mode or into my default programming, but I, I kind of realize I actually sort of battle with it at some points. And that's kind of one thing we'll kind of talk about with how you how you sort of manage uh, when those voices start to come back, how, how you sort of notice them, how, how you're aware of them, how you manage them. What One of the interviews that I've, I've done, and it hasn't actually been released yet, I don't think at this point, but one of the interviews that I've done was with another coach, Amber Chris, and she had this amazingly helpful advice, which is the default programming is there for a reason. And it's okay to sometimes allow it to just be, just be with it for some, you know, don't, don't fight with it. Don't resist it because in the resisting, right. Is when you're, you're trying to be present. You're trying to sort of enjoy that moment. You're trying to get this default programming mode out of your, out of your brain. And yet you're falling back into it and then you're resisting it, which is just the same damn thing as being in it. So sometimes just sort of letting go, I, and it was pretty profound that she said that. It was it was meaningful to hear her say that. It kind of mm. lifted a weight off my shoulders a little bit in some weird way. I love that. So we'll go into your um, into the career a little bit, actually. But since we're on the topic, I mean, what do you do when some of these self limiting beliefs and some of this self talk and this you know you know this is sort of unhealthy self talk? What do you do when it when it crops up? How do you know? that it's there? How do you realize that you're in it? How are you mindful of it? And then are there tools and tricks that you do to sort of get yourself out of it? Yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's interesting because I've, I've accumulated enough days of, I call it emotional sobriety that I know, you know, when it, it were before, you know, maybe, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, even as I was, I thought I was like this pillar of sobriety and 10 years sober. I had a decade under my belt. I was sponsoring people. I had sponsees. I was, you know, I was in the career that I love doing, you know, my actions were, you know, still, you know, not always benefiting me. And my, definitely my thoughts and, and feelings were sort of attached to all those actions. And so, and now I've had enough days where I know now where my discomfort is coming from that I can usually within an hour realize, you know, where I'm headed. And, and, you know, it's usually, you know, coming from the way I, you know, talking to other, to other people I love, to, um, you know, my patience level, to my sort of self-sabotage when it comes to distractions or avoiding the things that I'm supposed to be taking care of. So when I, you know, sort of start my day, ideally, I start my day with uh, meditation and some journal writing and writing about uh, what I'm grateful for and, and writing out my vision. When I start my day out like that, that usually is a good foundation. And yet, even with that, I can try to take back that power of the day instead of turning it over to my higher power and and being able to you know, let go of those things. So, so what happens a lot of times is that I'll find myself, especially like I, you know, like I said, my, as my life is getting bigger and, you know, I have this full life that that's also when these fears, these, you know, these fears are coming up. So like these, my default that is always, you know, that I'm sort of, sort of always protecting myself from making sure that I don't just fall into that default mode. I can pause 
uh, I can text to somebody. I've got like a ton of people that I reach out to. I've got uh, somebody that I we we now almost for three and a half years we touch base every morning. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, sometimes it's, you know, every two days, sometimes it's every, some weeks it's, you know, it's been every day of the week. And then these last, you know, I would say the last year we, we, sh- we shifted it where we are like, we're doing 15 minutes in the morning, no matter what, 6.45. I get five minutes, you get five minutes, and then we do a little wrap up. And we just really check in with where we are and how the day before was and how we're moving forward and what we're doing uh, today. and so having some accountability really helps me because then I don't feel like I'm doing it myself and I don't feel like I'm alone. And, and for me, you know, God, higher power, you know, um, you know, talks through the people that power, my higher self doesn't necessarily show up when I'm sitting in front of my computer by myself. Um, that's usually where my lower self is there, you know, sort of sneaking in going, ah, let me do some social media. Let me, let me check on this. You know, I really need to redo this thing that I that I did, you know, 10 years ago. I should, you know, all those things that are sort of, you know, are distractions and stuff. So I don't know if I'm being even being specific about what exactly I do, but, you know, I definitely think that there's a identifying how I feel. And usually I can tell when I'm feeling, you know, sort of anxious, uh, irritable, discontent, those things are sort of signs that I'm not, you know, I'm not taking a look at something that's, that I'm, you know, I need to just sort of address. Sure. Yeah. All that makes a lot of sense. So specifically you have a, I mean, it's, it's kind of an amazing daily practice actually. So 645, you have an accountability partner that you have a 15 minute phone call with every single, that's including the weekends as well. Yeah. He, yeah, there's only two days now he's got some other commitments on Tuesday, Thursday. So that's like our days that we call them our wonky Tuesdays. And so we try to like fit in a, a call or something, but yeah, it's, it's seven days a week. Um, and we end up, and you know, because of that relationship of having this accountability partner, he's also a writer. I got hired to write a, a script that I just, my life was so big. I wasn't able, didn't feel possible for me to, to write this script while I was directing this movie and working on this other writing project. And he had said, well, you know, why don't we write it together? And we were already talking every morning. We were already, you know, talking about the process and about being creative. And I said, yes. And that sort of really sort of built this, this foundation for us. And then once we finished the script and then turned it in, and now it's been four or five months since then, you know, this, this, this 645 sort of locking it in, it used to be different times, you know, while we were writing or, Prior to that, it was, you know, whenever we had time, but as our life is expanding, you know, we, we're seeing, we have, you know, very limited time chunks. And it's like, if I can get that time in the morning, then I'm, then I'm, you know, it really does set the day up. And when I don't have it, it's, it's, you know, it is, we can both be a little off because it just, we, it's nice to be able to have somebody that, that is on that, you know, on the same journey with you at times mirroring exactly what you're going through. Or like, I just went that through that exact thing he did six months ago. And now, or he just went through that, or he's going through something and we're both going through something at the exact same time. So it's pretty incredible that way. Yeah. And it's, I mean, from a, from a simplicity perspective, I mean, it's 15 minutes. That's something that seems highly doable for most people. Um, even if you have to wake up a little bit earlier, but I'm actually curious to know, so 
how did you find an accountability partner? I mean, how did how did this sort of like come about? How how was it born? So I'm in uh, several twelve step programs, and one of them is Debtors Anonymous, which is uh, a money program that focuses on under earning and debting. So technically, I'm not a debtor. Uh, I under earn. Um, I under be, and so with that, um, you know, when I under earn, I usually debt. So, uh, so I was doing this workshop, uh, on er- under earning and my friend was, uh, was teaching this uh, workshop and we just hit it off. And, you know, soon after that, we just, you know, we were always on sort of the journey together. And I think it was, that was almost 10 years ago and three years ago, he came to me and said, um, you know, he had moved to Palm Springs, uh, to work as a director for commercials production company and, uh, work creative there. And, he said, you know, listen, can you meet me for lunch? I'm in town for a couple of days. And so we met for lunch and he said, listen, I'm, you know, I'm really looking at my life and, you know, who are the people in my life and who I want to, you know, grow friendships with. And I admire you and I admire you, you know, what you're doing with your life. And I said, no, I admire you and for what you do in your life. And, you know, he's one of these guys, he's a, also a father and, you know, married and, you know, a writer director as well. So we sort of had this this really great, you know, sort of energy between us. And, um, and yet, you know, it wasn't like a solid, you know, always communicating friendship. It was always like, Hey, anytime we pick it off the phone, we could, you know, pick it up again. And, uh, but he said, I really want to make an effort to be more consistent with you. And I said, great. And so we really committed to that. We really committed to, you know, at the, in the beginning it was, you know, Hey, can we check in like once a week and just like on a Friday, just say, Hey, this is what I'm up to how my week's going or throughout the, throughout the day, sort of text if we need to check in. And, and then somewhere in that process, uh, I was doing, I have another accountability pro, uh, partner with literally just sort of vision stuff that I, we, we check in on email Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I have, we do 90 day goals. We set them for, you know, career, money, spiritual, family, and, and, physical body, things like that. And, um, and then we check in. And so I'd mentioned that to him and he said, you know, maybe we should check in a little bit more regularly so that we can, you know, sort of as we're, our life is expanding. And so that's what we did. And so that's sort of, um, sort of the beginning of it. And, and I, I think it just because, because our life was expanding, it felt, you know, like I needed somebody to talk to. And, 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 you know, fortunately, you know, because we, we'd been talking so much and he knew literally everything about me. Like he knows every single, he knows more, you know, about my relationship with my wife than anybody else. And, you know, and so when, uh, this opportunity came to me that I felt was completely above me and something that I was going to come, I would fail if I even said yes to this job, even though I had, you know, is obviously this is what I was supposed to be doing. I mean, it just literally just like fell into my lap because I had done all these tons of actions and like got to this thing. And he said, Oh no, you can totally do that. Yeah. And I was like, no, because, and I gave him my things. He's like, Oh yeah, you could totally do that. And so I said yes to the job because he said that. And then literally the next day I got this other job and I was like, Oh, but I can't do that. Cause I'm doing this other job. He's like, Oh no, you can do it too. And wow. I was like, wow. Okay. Yes. I said, yes. And then that led to getting the directing thing. And I said, yes, because if he said, you should say yes. And then the writing came and he said, I'll write it with you. And because of those things, my life just became, you know, there was this, there's a built-in support. There was somebody that, that it wasn't, it's, it's so funny. It was, and we've talked about this It's like, you know, yes, he could see for me what, you know, the, what I'm capable of and, you know, that I obviously could do it. 
but he was also taking it from what I've been telling him. And so it wasn't so it wasn't like, you know, when he was saying that to me, it wasn't like I was putting in the past, maybe if a teacher or a mentor would say something to me, I'd like, oh, well, I'm doing it because he's finally told me that I'm good enough to do this. It was he was basically mirroring back to me saying, well, based on everything that you've been doing, doesn't this feel like you should be you could do this? I'm like, well, yeah, it's just I'm uncomfortable because I don't know. I've never done it before. It's like, yeah, but you didn't know how to do that. And you did that. You didn't know how to do that. And you did that. And so all those things were sort of like, um, you know, reminding me that this guy knows me and it's like, oh yeah. And I was able to take a look at that myself and say, oh yeah, I can actually do it. And, you know, and I'm, and I'm grateful for him, uh, for, for pushing me. And of course, you know, uh, it goes the other way around too, where I'm, you know, constantly, you know, seeing what he maybe doesn't see, you know, uh, you know, possible for his life. So it just, it pays off. Yeah, it's amazing. Actually sort of leads to one of the questions I, I wanted to ask you, which I, I mean, I think you kind of just described everything about it, but maybe I'd like to maybe dive a little bit sort of deeper on it, which is on your website, you kind of talk about finding true, your, you know, your sort of true potential. And you say, I think you get there by taking huge risks, having an actionable plan and asking for help. So, I mean, clearly this is the sort of help piece that I think maybe you mean, but can you kind of tell us a little bit about that and about that sort of thought process there and what you mean by actionable plan? And maybe this is like the 90 day vision plan that you have with an action, you know, uh, an accountability partner. Is that what you kind of mean by that? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I think that that's, uh, that's part of it. You know, it's everything sort of what I was doing 10 years ago is different than what I was doing 20 years ago. And, you know, that kind of stuff, like there's things that I sort of gravitate towards and things I picked up from different people. But I think, you know, what I, what I've learned from my own experience is that it was much easier for, I sort of came to this point, it was much easier for me to talk about my dreams and stay safe in doing another job that, you know, sort of like a, you know, I call it like a B job. And, and even though it paid well, and it was in my industry, it was not my vision. And in order for me to sort of make that jump, it was going to have to take some sort of superhuman power. Like there was work to be had. I was going to have to sit down and write a script. I was going to have to, you know, put myself out there as a director. And then when I got hired to like, do the work to, you know, deliver a good film. And all those actions are, and those visions are much, you know, they're, they're much bigger than you know, what I think sometimes on a daily basis, like I'm capable of achieving. And so, you know, having sort of this vision, you know, was great, but, you know, then how do I accomplish it? And so it was sort of like taking this thing and sort of, you know, you know, people I've heard, you know, different things of, you know, like a five-year plan, then you sort of backtrack at two and a half, and then what's the year, and then six months and 90 days, and sort of, sort of that in a, in a certain uh, way for me is that, having a, a clear vision of what I want for my life and not just career. And uh, I think this is what I love about, you know, what you're doing with this podcast is that, you know, it's not just career or money or success that way. And, and instead it's like, you know, what's, what's my life look like? Like what's a, you know, sort of, if I could close my eyes and say, okay, so what's my ideal day look like if I have that, that dream, that vision. And what's crazy about it when I do that, you know, 
it's busy <laughs> that life and 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 you know the things that i want to do are going to you know there's a lot of you know my business is there's it's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of you know um personalities and so you know knowing that like how do i then take care of myself and so you know okay so my family my spirituality my my physical state you know all those things you know have to be an emotional state all have to be in a really great place so that as I go out into the world to, you know, do my vision that I have this, you know, a, a solid foundation. And so that's where I think I'm, you know, I talk about these sort of actionable goals because, you know, I can't just say I'm going to just be a director or I'm, you know, I want to, you know, uh, you know, write a script that's, you know, so-and-so is going to direct or whatever it's going to be that I have to say, okay, so I'm going to write this. That's what I want. And I sort of backtrack and go like, what are sort of these actions that I can take today? Okay, do I have a, you know, am I writing? <laughs> you know, am I, if I'm not writing, you know, how do I, what's my first step? How can I sort of move forward? Is there a workshop? Is there a book? You know, um, I remember when I was first looking into it, like, you know, uh, you know, it's just like, can I, can I just write sort of like uh, journaling? And, you know, I did the artist way probably four times uh, over my life. And, uh, and so this morning, Morning pages is something that, you know, I've continued on for probably two decades, you know, in one form or another. And, and now I use this great, you know, online app called 750 Words, which is basically, you know, three pages of morning pages. If you're not familiar, it's the artist way. And uh, that journaling helps me in the morning to sort of straighten out my day and then, you know, figuring out, you know, what the goals are, you know, uh, for the week. And, you know, knowing what the big picture is and then sort of backtracking just to go, okay, these are the things I need to do. And then asking, asking for help, obviously, is going to mentors, going to coaches, going to other people that, you know, have done it, are doing it, can support me in doing that. And, um, and being able to say, hey, I actually don't know how to do this. And, you know, and, you know, I think a big part of me, because I think I was telling you, is, is like the childhood, nobody else was there to sort of take care of me that I feel like I'm supposed to know how to do it, you know, because if I want it so bad, I should know how to do it. And I, you know, for the most part, I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to do any of the stuff that I, that I really want to do. It's just, it's sort of all out of, you know, I only learn it from doing it. I only learn it from failing or sort of, you know, not even failing. It's just, you know, sort of, you know, there's always going to be this sort of lessons that I go along, you know, along the way. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's absolutely it absolutely makes a lot of sense. I was a first child too and child of divorce and always always feel that same way. Like I'm supposed to be perfect at whatever I immediately pick up and try. I'm supposed to figure it all out because yeah. who the heck else is going to do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Can you tell us what was the sort of moment when, and you've kind of talked about this a little bit, but what's the moment that you decided to become kind of the CEO of your own life, to take your life under control and to, and, and to just really take control of your life. That sort of transform, that's transformation. Was that like when you, you did the Bannon way? Is that, is that that story? Can you tell us about that sort of, and it doesn't have to be a moment, but sort of just when you said, you know what, I, I got to take control over my life and my career and my, my destiny a little bit more. Yeah. That, so, so for me, I think that the moment that, that really shifted for me was, so I think I can go back to a moment where, uh, I was acting, I was doing my B job and, 
I was, I had just directed a, a short film and there was something about directing the short film that I just, I was really empowered. Like I felt when I was directing the actors, I was acting things out and I felt like I was so much more free as an actor and while I was directing. And so I was uh, assisting my teacher who was a director uh, and was directing scenes and directing plays. And I was like his basically stage manager and watched him, you know, assisted him during rehearsals, you know, on like 15 different scenes. And I thought, man, maybe I'm supposed to be a director. So I came to him and I said, you know, I I think I'm going to give up acting. You know, I really feel like directing is the thing that I should be doing. And he said, he said, "Uh uh-huh. And then he started scribbling on a piece of paper and he like rips off this piece of paper and hands it to me. And he says, so which one are you? You can only be one. And on the paper it said, actor, there's a line down the middle and then it said director. He said, you only do one, then you can never do the other one again. And I was looking at it and I was like, I, I think it's directing. He said, well, I think you can do both. If you don't confront what you're, what you're not confronting in the acting, it's going to come up in the directing. He's like, I think you need to do uh, you know, these scenes. I'm going to give you a list of scenes to do for me. And I want to see you do them. And we'll go from there. And then the next day, uh, he decided to do sort of this mini workshop with like 15 students that had been there for a couple of years that he felt weren't where they should be. And so that first day was like literally 24 hours later, uh, he went around the room and said, you know, uh, you know, I want you to tell us why you're not where you want to be in your career. And I was like the second person he called on and I, and I get to stand up. And so I stood up and I was like, I, I just don't feel like I'm ever going to be good enough as an actor. And I just started bawling. And, uh, he's like, yeah, you think that, you know, that's why you did props. It's like, you're, great as a second banana. You're, he's like, you're one of my best assistants I've ever had. So you can hide, you know, you don't have to be in center stage. And so I went on this journey with him for two years and I did probably 25 scenes. And by the end of that, that two years, I stood there on the stage and was like, I am an actor. I know I'm an actor. And I felt great about what I was doing. And out of that process, you know, um, I was still, you know, trying to administer my career and things weren't happening, just it wasn't manifesting. Like in class, I was killing it. And then in real life, like I could not get a job. I couldn't get an audition. Like there was just no opportunities. And I was in class and another teacher was teaching that night. And so I had a scene partner whose sister was super famous and wasn't that talented, but my scene partner was. (laughs) And she was like, I'm frustrated. I just, I can't get auditions. I can't get this. Like my sister can, you know, she doesn't even have to do anything. And like, she gets these jobs. And he said, you know, you're different than her. Everybody's different. Everybody has their own path and you have to build your own door and walk through it. And he was talking to her, but I heard it. And I went home that night and it just sort of hit me that sort of this idea that, I've, you know, my teacher, you know, Milton Tzellis, I was a teacher and Milton would always say, you know, you know, you know, find your way into the party, you know, you, you know, to your, to whatever you want to be doing. So, you know, who's your contacts, who are the people you can network with, you know, who, you know, how you, you just got to get in once you're in the party, everything's fine. And I sort of had this metaphor that as a filmmaker directing and do, producing some short films and working in production that I sort of had, like, I had it into the party, like the back door was open for me and people were like, Hey man, come in. It's a great party. And I'm like sitting there with my foot in the door as an actor and like they're slamming the door on my foot. I'm like, no, no, hold on. I'm almost got this door open. 
<laughs> and and so that that day that night I like you know I was with my wife she was my girlfriend at the time and she saw the scene that I did and she was really proud of me and I said yeah you know I just I have to I have to stop fighting I just have to f- stop fighting that I'm I wanted to go this way and I really know that I know I can just create my own vehicle I just need to do it myself like I know how to produce something I'll just make something for myself then and so I like wrote on a board today I stopped fighting at that moment, like I could not, I couldn't do what I was doing anymore. Like I couldn't just sit around and wait for, you know, a casting director call me in from agent to get me an audition. And so I just, I, I realized at that moment I had to stop fighting this. And to me, what I meant by fighting it was, you know, I knew how to produce. I'd already produced short films. I'd already been on, you know, at that point, probably 70 sets. I knew how production worked. I had contacts. And so I went over to my wall and I wrote, today I stopped fighting. And I, you know, I wrote down the next morning, I woke up and I wrote down three writer directors that wanted to work with me. And I reached out to all three of them. And one of them was uh, another classmate, Jesse Warren. And that led us on a journey for two and a half years of almost every day working together, writing, creating this project based on a feature script he wrote. And we just, you know, we didn't know what we were doing, but we had passion about creating something for ourselves, creating our own vehicle. and. And out of that, we, you know, ended up selling it to Sony and to Crackle. And it was the first web series feature film that had ever been done. And it sort of, you know, just, you know, broke open this sort of possibility for me. And I remember one day I was sitting, I was walking from one set to another on this big studio that we were at shooting. And uh, Grip was up there sort of taking down some flags that were there the day before. And he's like, hey, Mark, how's it going? Going to have another good day today. And I just realized like there's all these people here to help me achieve my dream. And, and that was something that I had like, you know, it was, I was passionate. Um, I was, you know, uh, I worked harder than anybody else in order to get it. And, you know, and that's, and that sort of, that was sort of the big shift for me to, you know, take my career into my own hands. And, you know, it's been now a decade and, you know, Feature, five features later and, and, you know, recurring roles as actor and, you know, directing three features. And there's been so many things that have happened along the way. And, uh, and each time is sort of like starting fresh sometimes to go like, okay, what is, what is it that I want? You know, am I still, am I still sort of fighting it in a way of going, oh, well, I'm expecting it to be this way. So I thought, well, once I did this, then everybody's going to come and help me. And, and it's not really, you know, it hasn't really worked out that way for me. I, like, I've, you know, I've had to go back and not start from zero. I'm, I'm much, I'm much farther along. But at the same time, it's like, okay, so you know, where do I, where do I step up? What, what work do I need to do to get to that next level? It's amazing. So, <laughs> you've kind of already said it here, but I'd love to know if you've sort of thought about defining this. What, what does this full life mean to you? What does thinking about your life not just in business as we've talked about, but family and spiritual, what is it, what does it mean to you? Like, how do you create a full life? I think at the, at the end of the day, creating a full life for me is, do I feel like on a daily basis, I can look myself in the mirror and say, I'm being the best person that I can be, that I am leaning into my Dharma. I'm leaning into creating art creating relationships, uh, being a great 
father, a great husband, a great son? Am I able to, you know, think beyond my selfish, self-centered, you know, thinking of, you know, what's going to be best for me? And, uh, you know, my morning meditation, one of my prayers is just sort of, you know, let me be the person that's, you know, to be of service to other people. And instead of, you know, being serviced for myself. And so for me, I guess, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like a, an all encompassing of, you know, am I having joy and abundance and am I being, you know, of service to as many people as possible, you know, while, you know, taking care of myself. And when I say taking care of myself, not in a selfish way, but to making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of my body and my health and, you know, my mental uh, faculties and spirituality and those things. And so I think, you know, as, as we are, you know, my wife and I are, you know, you know, expanding our lives and we, you know, just created this podcast and, you know, part of that really is about how can we be of service to other people? How can we, you know, let people who don't always have a voice, who don't have, you know, an accountability partner that they talk to every morning at 645? You know, how do we, how do we, you know, help people that, um, that feel alone and feel isolated and feel misunderstood? And how do we help them to be heard, to have a voice? And, and then at the same time, you know, is there some hope that we can, you know, pass on? Is there some sort of transformation shift that, that can happen when two people are talking authentically about what's really going on? And, uh, and to me, that's, that's a full life, you know, and, uh, and, and not our bank accounts, not the cars we drive, not the house we live in, not, you know, the clothes or the career or the, you know, uh, how high my IMDb ranking is, or, you know, is there a poster of me on the side of a building? You know, none of that stuff, you know, uh, fulfills us. Um, even when I've had all that stuff, even when I've had the stuff that I thought, like, if I got this, like, then like we're there. Right. We, and then when I was there, it was like, I was always on to the next thing. Like, yeah, but when I get that. And so on a daily basis, that's what we try to do. We, you know, and I'm not sure when this is going to, you know, air, but like, you know, we're in the middle of a, you know, pandemic and this, you know, there's this quarantine and it's sort of a, you know, it's the, what's happened is just like the, this, the world is sort of stopping around us to go like, okay, so what is so important? What's most important for us on a daily basis? Not what we think, what we thought was important, but like what truly is important. And when we find ourselves, you know, sort of ungrateful and frustrated and why aren't people getting us back, getting back to us and we're waiting on emails, we're waiting on this and oh, they rejected us. And, you know, we can stop and go, yeah, but look at this. I just like our son just, you know, started singing, let it go when I was like in my own crap in my head, you know, and he was like, dad, dad, let it go let it go. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's like, God is like talking through my son to let it go. And so those are those moments that I just go like, this is what it's about, you know? And so, yeah. That's amazing. Um, that's just great. Um, we're, we're kind of running short on time here. So I'll ask, I'll try to ask a couple more like, uh, quicker questions. Yeah. I'm not very, I'm not, I'm not very quick to answer. I apologize. I, I get a little long winded. So <laughs> No, I appreciate it. But books, you mentioned the artist's way. 
besides the artist's way, uh, are there any particular books that you've maybe gifted the most or that have sort of meant the most for you in your journey? Yeah, you know, when in my writing, you know, when I first started, the the book that just like, and I've reread it, and it's so great because you don't have to actually read the whole thing and just read chapters at a time if you just need inspiration is Bird by Bird uh, by Anne Lamont. And uh, Lamont, I think it is, Lamont. And, uh, and I just love it because it's just, these just sort of like almost writing prompts on like how to just, you know, continue to write, to continue to sort of expand uh, your creativity. And I'm a huge fan of uh, Emerson. So self-reliance is something that I'm always, I'm always handing off to people <laughs> um, because I just think it's so, it's so powerful. And, uh, and I've just been sort of getting into a little bit of Seneca and Ryan Holiday and, uh, you know, sort of rocking that a bit. And I just, I can really relate to a lot of the stoicism stuff that's um, everybody's sort of getting into now. Uh, most recent ones is Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle it is... It's the way. Yeah. And uh, I just, you know, again, it's just one of those things for me. It's like sort of shifting a perspective of, you know, old habits, old ways of thinking and, uh, and seeing things in a new light. It's so funny that you mentioned Bird by Bird. I've I'd never heard of this book, and I literally saw something on it yesterday. Whoa! And funny enough, I was thinking about uh, kind of writing a writing a. I mean, I've been thinking about writing a book, but I just the thought of writing a book. Right? It wasn't actually. I didn't have the the book idea in my head, and all of a sudden, I I woke up the other day at like four thirty in the morning with inspiration about writing a book. And I started jotting it down and it sort of lit a fire in me. And then the next day I heard about bird by bird and about shitty first drafts. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that was pretty uh, important. And then uh, you, you uh, recommend bird by bird here. I think something, uh, some, someone's speaking to me in the universe. So I think so. I think so. <laughs> um, we're in, as you sort of mentioned a, um, and I'm kind of finished with this and we can talk about your wife's podcast for a little bit, but I'm just curious your thoughts. You're a creative person. You're you're in um, the world of film and television, and we're in this sort of global pandemic right now, where there's a lot of isolation, a lot of quarantine. And not everybody's quarantining. Not everyone's wearing masks. But I've always I've tried to like I try to be an optimist. I'm not all. I don't think I actually am naturally an optimist, but I try to be. I kind of force myself into that because I feel like what's the point of being pessimistic? It's it doesn't really. It's not helpful. So my thought here is. I have this little theory that out of this quarantine might come some of the most beautiful sort of renaissance of art. And my hope is that we have just the next five to 10 years, just this, this really a renaissance of like just people sitting at home, creating music, creating books, painting, like doing the things that their B job didn't allow them to do. And now they don't have their B job or their B job is just, you know, they're at home. And so they have a lot more time. So I don't know. Have you thought about that at all? Are you, I mean, have you experienced a lot more work and inspiration during this time? Oh, a hundred percent. I believe, I, I, you know, I believe that out of the darkness, there's this light. And I think that we're, you know, as a nation, uh, you know, we're at probably one of the darkest places that, you know, my generation has ever seen. And I think that we have an opportunity to really grow and change out of that. And, and with that, you know, there's going to be uh, an opportunity for so many more voices that have not been heard, voices that have been suppressed and, you know, have not had those opportunities to 
you know, to be shared with the world. And I think for all the people that, you know, said during this, you know, this, if they ever needed, you know, just some time to write, you know, there's probably, you know, I would say a good percentage of them that actually did some writing this time, you know? And, uh, and so out of that, there's going to be books and there's going to be TV shows and there's going to be web shows and there's going to be movies and there's going to be art and music that, um, and I see it, I see, you know, I just see that there's, you know, uh, people creating just, you know, even TikTok videos, but there's a creativity to it. There's a way to sort of, you know, find this expression that we're all having. And, you know, um, my wife and I, we've just, you know, in the be- from the beginning, we, we really leaned into it when we, you know, even in the unknown on March 12th, we said, well, we don't know how long this will last. Like, let's, you know, let's, let's work on something together. We were already creating projects together. It's like, and we ended up developing a project based on a book that she had just finished writing and as a TV series. And then we wrote the pilot and, you know, and out of that, she came with this idea for a podcast. And it's like, you know, all that sort of creativity, you know, was, was sort of there, but, you know, we found ourselves sort of busy doing other things and we were sort of missing those, those opportunities to do that. That's a, Amazing, and also a really good segue into talking about uh, your wife's podcast. You want to tell us a little bit about about that? I know you're you're sort of helping produce and edit and and all this stuff, and and uh, you and your wife are doing something pretty special. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, it's based. You know, it started from Brienne uh, writing this book, and in the book, you know, sort of expressing and sharing her the secret that she's had. And, uh, and out of that became, you know, writing this, this article for the Huff Post where she comes out with her secret, which is she's recovering sex and love addict. And, and out of that, this idea sort of was born as she was realizing all these people were emailing her and DMing her and calling her to connect and say, wow, I didn't even know that about you. Or, oh, guess what? This is my secret. Oh, I don't know if you knew this, but I know somebody like this, or I knew this is what I'm going through. Or, you know, by the way, do they have a program for this? And, you know, so it became this thing that was much bigger than her, that the sort of, you know, what recovery seems to be at. And, you know, for all of us in the beginning is just sort of like just ourselves. Like, how do we stay? How do we recover? How do we change? And then we realized the way that, the programs work is that it's about being of service. And so as you sort of get out of yourself and you sort of help other people. And so she created, she came up with this idea for the show called Secret Life and uh, Secret Life of, you know, of everybody else. Like, what are these secrets that other people have that we're holding on to? And because she's had this such a cathartic effect from sharing this, you know, she, she wrote this article and then she thought like the world was going to stop. And like, everybody's going to be like, oh my gosh. And instead it was just the opposite. It was just like this loving, open uh, conversation. And so she said, you know, I'm, should I just do some interviews? Let's start interviewing a couple people and just see how it's going to go. And so she did that. And that sort of expanded into something much, much bigger where, you know, she went, okay, well, let's do this. Let's actually create a show and we're producing it together. And she's now on, I think, 107 interviews. And oh my God. we, we, today's our 30 day mark and we've, we're blown away by sort of the, the following, the, the comments, these emails that we've been getting, just people, just complete total strangers with, from Wisconsin, from Florida, you know, from Spain, you know, saying, you know, like, 
thank you for doing this. You know, uh, this just happened to me, or I can, I never heard somebody tell my story before. And just, it's been, it's like, it's just, just mind blowing. And, and, you know, just to be of service just feels like, you know, it's so not about us. It's so not about her. And, and for her, she's, you know, she's here, she is like every interview, you know, listening and asking questions and, you know, having a real genuine, authentic conversation with somebody about either past trauma to, you know, affairs, to eating, to addiction, to uh, gambling, to whatever, you know, and all these secrets that people hold. And we find that, you know, we are more alike and have more in common with total strangers because sort of, you know, we're all, we all just want to be loved. We all want to feel like we're, we're worthy and that, you know, we're not alone. And so there, and within that we've, you know, um, we feel like we've created something really special and not because of us. Like we think it's much bigger than us. Like it come, coming about was much bigger than us. The, the audience, the response way bigger than us. And so, you know, sort of like it's, it's, it's as if we're just sort of a, you know, a vehicle for it to conduit. Yeah. The conduit for it to sort of, um, you know, expand. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I, I can't wait. I, Hopefully she airs my episode, but I will, I guess I'm recording with her next week. So I'm excited. Yeah, to, great, great. To, to share. <laughs> what do you want your son? And we'll wrap up here in just a second, but what do you want your, your son to, to, to think of when he thinks of success? What's the sort of lesson you want your son to, to feel like when, when you, when he thinks of success? Oh man, I hope he doesn't have it. The thought that I had for the first <laughs> 40 years of my life. Uh, you know, what we're trying to really show him, you know, on a daily basis, even, you know, for us is just to say, you know, you work really hard to towards something that you want and you may not get it, but if you can just be appreciative and be grateful for the things that you do have and that you're taking action towards that, that you are taking some risks and that's, you know, even with him as we're, you know, he's getting frustrated with something we're like, no, 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 just hold on, try it again. I know you're, you're just trying to get the screwdriver doesn't fit in there because that screwdriver doesn't go in there, but <laughs> just like, try this one, you know, and he can see the impatience. And so, you know, for us, the, you know, success is, you know, is there a way for us to teach him to be patient, to be in gratitude, to see that, you know, that, it, that money, money, career, those things, you know, aren't, you know, aren't sort of, uh, markers for success, but instead just sort of like icing on the cake. Um, and at the end of the day is that it's, you know, about how we feel inside. Like, do we feel, cause that's what I'm battling on a daily basis with is like, can I be, can I, can I be okay when I don't have what I want? And can I be okay when I do have what I want? Because in either situation, I can either feel like I'm, you know, I'm not enough or that it's, you know, I want the next thing. And so, so being in that moment to be present, to be in presence, um, is what I would, if he could, you know, if in, at 20, he's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm totally cool with just my life the way it is, you know, and you know, it being imperfectly perfect or perfectly imperfect. Perfectly imperfect. As we wind down here and end our conversation, which has been amazingly fun, by the way, despite our technical glitches that we had, and we probably will have another <laughs> before this is over. I, I know we're, we're hitting that time. Almost 15 minutes. Our podcast has been shutting down every 15 minutes, but nobody will know that because we'll fix it in post-production. But is there anything 
that you'd sort of like to leave the audience with, um, knowing that this is about, you know, full life living and, and being intentional and deliberate and conscious in your life. And is there anything that sort of, uh, you'd like to sort of end the conversation with and, um, an ask of the audience, uh, something to leave with anything at all? Yeah. You know, I, I think the one thing that I'm always sort of pushing people is pushing on people <laughs> is, you know, is to, to, you should be uncomfortable. Like, you know, I feel a lot of times, you know, when we, as our, our, as we have this vision and it starts to expand, we, it, it becomes uncomfortable. And I think it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Like we're, we're growing. It's sort of like, like this muscle that has to be, you know, expanded. And so, you know, instead of shying away from doing things that are scary and, you know, make me uncomfortable to lean into those things. And I feel like, that's been the big lesson for me is that, you know, m- the, the biggest shifts that have happened for me are not when I'm comfortable. And when I'm, you know, like I joke when I'm not, when I'm unemployed and I'm sitting at my home and I'm like meditating and I'm doing some writing and like everything is like, I, and I'm just taking some actions with emails, like, oh, it feels good, but I'm not actually living my dream. You know, it's just sort of like I'm doing those step works together. And then I get the job and all of a sudden I'm like, ah, oh no. And it's like finding, finding that, that, um, the finding those actions are going to like put me in a position where I'm uncomfortable every day because I'm growing, because I'm changing, because I'm, I'm confronting my fears and achieving my dream. And so, so I'm saying lean into the, the, the fear, lean into the uncomfortability of our lives because that's, that's usually a good sign we're on the road towards what we want to get. Amazing. Mark, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for, uh, thank you. It's, it's been amazing. And, um, Oh, thank you for having me. I, I guess I'll, uh, I'll be chatting with you uh, next week on, uh, on a different podcast. Yeah, sounds great. I love it. All right, Mark. All right, Greg. Thank you so much. Take care. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to help support it, the best way to do so is to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only do I read every one of them, but leaving a review will hopefully help increase the visibility of the podcast, which means that it will help reach other listeners that are also trying to discover what it means to live a full life. Additionally, part of the reason for creating the podcast was to start a conversation with others around the world. So if you'd like to connect, please visit me at gregberard.com. That's G-R-E-G-B-E-R-A-R-D.com and sign up for my newsletter. Not only will you be up to date on the latest podcasts and guests, but you'll also receive my personal blog, shared resources, and other media that I plan on releasing over time. The email you receive will also come from my personal email address, so I'm happy to have a dialogue personally by responding directly. Lastly, I'd love to connect with you on Twitter and Instagram, and all of my social handles are available on my website, gregberard.com. Thanks for listening.